You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Ooh, we're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Producers Perspective podcast. Spring has finally arrived here on Broadway. And as most of you know, spring is the busiest time of our year. We've got openings just about every single night and sometimes two in one night. Uh, And you know who is the busiest during this time of year? It's not producers. It's not general managers. It's the ad agency. Because not only are there more shows opening, but the stakes are much higher now. Uh, The shows are opening now not only because there are more people seeing shows this time of year, but because they all want in before the Tony deadline. All these shows are trying to get those nominations and then win that Tony Award, and they use advertising actually to try and do it. It's a very big awards lobbying technique. I call April and May the Broadway cage match. Yet 20 shows go in, only one emerges. And because we're in the middle of that cage match, I thought we'd speak with one of those very busy ad agencies. So today I'm sitting across from Elizabeth Furs, managing partner for AKA Advertising. Welcome, Liz. Thank you, Ken. Not too busy for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> As you can tell, Liz is from New Jersey. That's not 
True. I'll let her tell you the whole story, but Liz came over from jolly old England not too long ago to establish the New York City base of AK Advertising. Uh, and just a few years later, they are now a huge part of our landscape with such clients as Les Mis, Hand to God, Wolf Hall, Matilda, Spider-Man, all the way, and many, many more, including a host of nonprofit institutions, including Manhattan Theatre Club, New Group, Vineyard, etc. I've had the pleasure of working with Liz and AKA on It's Only a Play and Macbeth, and they knocked it out of the park on both of those shows. So tell me, Liz, tell me about how AKA and you managed to land here on our shores. So, um, it's, a, it's a fairly long story, but I'll try and say it in a succinct way. Um, I moved here in 2008, summer of 2008. I'd been working in London for eight years at that time, working on West End shows and seasons, including the Royal Shakespeare Company. I'd launched Jersey Boys there. Um, in 2007 and 2008, I was spending more time doing international brand management, so... Dirty Dancing, which was a musical which I'd launched in the West End, was opening in Toronto and is starting a US tour and also opening out across Europe. So I was spending more time here. And that led to conversations with Working Title, who were producing Billy Elliot, the musical, here at that time. They were in their very early pre-opening stages. And they're a London-based client who, up until that point, had more experience producing movies and had only worked with AKA London in the theatrical environment um, their experience working with AK London was very much one of a full-service philosophy. So they were used to being able to pick up the phone and have a conversation about advertising, marketing, digital, any part of the campaign with the same group of people. And at that time on Broadway, it was very much more focused on advertising agencies, separate marketing agencies, separate digital agencies, and that was the, the, the situation with Billy Elliot. So I initially came over here working with Working Title, to do six months of working on Billy Elliot, essentially almost acting as an in-house marketing director, although I was not in-house, but pulling together all of the different elements of the campaign and making sure that everybody was moving in the same direction at the same time. Um, fairly quickly, I saw that there was an opportunity in the marketplace to have the service offering that we'd, we'd really based the London company on, which was this idea of having everything under one roof and really being... Uh, being very accountable to the ticket sales. So we've always had in-house analysts looking at the performance of our campaign, the box office and ticketing results, and using that to guide the campaign and the strategies that we recommend. So I stayed um, over and above the six months. Um, and it was interesting because it was around about, about three months after I got here was the economic crash of 2008. So that was a really interesting time to be in the to be in the market here, and I think that it was one of the things that contributed to producers wanting to look at what their various options were. Um, in addition to that, there were some producers that had perhaps previously had in-house marketing directors on staff that no longer had them on staff. So I picked up a few projects, one of them being a little night music with Catherine Zeta-Jones, where I essentially worked alongside the agencies working on that show as a marketing director. As the business grew, um, we got to around 2010, summer 2010, and that's when we launched the full service agency. My business partner over here, Scott Moore, who's fabulous, um, joined us, and we launched the agency that summer with very little fanfare, just a, a few phone calls, <laughs> and it was off to the races, so to speak. And Scott Moore is actually the, I've known Scott since 1993, 
when he was the first company manager I ever assisted. I've known him a very long time and was glad to see him land uh, at an agency because I've been following his marketing prowess for years. Now, let's go back a few years before that. Where did you catch the marketing bug? What about it? Well, I, well, I, I trained as a journalist. Um, that was my initial career path. And fairly quickly coming out of that training, I went and worked in PR for a minute and then started work in this industry. So I've really been, I've been doing it my entire adult career, essentially. Um, I started at AKA at a fairly young age, which I shall not say here because people would then be able to work out my age. Um, but at a fairly young age, and AKA London was very small at that time. I think there were about 12 people in the London office, which of course now is close to 150, I think. Um, and the good thing about that was, for, for my own personal experience, was that there, the company wasn't divided into departments at that point. Really, if you were working on a show, you did everything on that show from inputting the box office data to making partnerships and promotions with the brands that you wanted to work with to booking the media. There was less online at that time. Um, it was around 2000. Um, but really, you were responsible for everything, and it really instilled in me a very holistic understanding of all of the different components that it takes to sell tickets for a show. You would be at the theatre every night seeing the people that you'd essentially driven there, and it created a huge amount of responsibility to that. And I think that it was seeing the change that you can affect in the campaign that you run was the thing that really kind of excited me about advertising and marketing and has driven me to continue doing it ever since. So you're one of the few people that have actually worked in, in the trenches on both sides of the pond, mm -hmm. on the marketing and advertising, mm -hmm. literally handling the, show, the specifics. A lot of people produce on both sides, but not as many people get their hands dirty in it. What are the main differences between advertising and marketing in the West End, London, versus Broadway? There's a few. Uh, not necessarily the biggest difference, but one that certainly springs to mind is the ticketing lands landscape is quite different, or at least historically has been quite different. Um, ticket agents, we call them in London, will be given allocations of tickets when you're putting the show on sale. And what that does is allow, it creates a situation whereby there's multiple agents who are helping you market your show because it benefits them. So on some way, in some ways, that gives you more marketing assets to work with that perhaps don't cost the show money on their budget. They cost the show money on um, in the, on an inside commission. And obviously, we've seen the way that the brokers work in this market. That's starting to change on Broadway. And I think it's going to be really interesting as we see things like Today Ticks coming into the market, how that's going to change the Broadway landscape moving forward. Um, so that's one piece. Another piece is the price of everything. So... I think had you even had this, if, if we'd been talking about this even a year ago, I probably would have made more of a point of the different um, costs of advertising. The gap is becoming short, smaller year on year. Um, but ultimately, it's a well-known fact that it costs less money to produce a show in the West End. And that, that extends across many things. Of course, there's the unions, which keep some costs down in London, but also staffing costs are less. So within the advertising and the marketing business, people have lower salaries in that world the media itself is less money so people's advertising budgets are not quite as large which means again the cost to produce the show is slightly less so that's interesting I was actually speaking to a colleague 
in London a few days ago about what they're spending now. Obviously, I haven't been there for, for nearly eight, no, nearly seven years. Um, and the play budgets, you know, on average, a play budget pre-opening is still around £65,000, and weekly is ten to £15,000 a week that they're spending in media on, on their full-service ad campaigns, which is a pretty big difference. The type of media they're buying is also different, um, although not completely different. Less TV. Um, musicals rely incredibly heavy on TV buys here. And again, I think that's something else that's going to shift and change over the coming years. But for now, are spending a huge amount of money, a huge portion of their budget on TV. In London, some of the bigger musicals will do TV. And when they do, they'll do it for short bursts. So they might do four, ten-day, two-week bursts of TV a year, as opposed to a, a more consistent presence that we would have on a, on a large musical here. There's a lot of outdoor in London. So London Underground, you take a lot of advantage of London Underground, posters, the four sheets, the bus shelter campaigns. You, you, have, you spend more money outdoor there than I think you spend here, even taking into account the cost of Times Square billboards. I should probably look at that. Um, online, of course, is a component there and has grown in the same way that it's grown here. And print advertising is... I wouldn't say that they spend more money on print, but there's certainly a larger presence of print advertising in the UK, not least because there are more publications, there are more newspapers in England that target a theatre-going demographic than perhaps they do here. So you have the Times, the Telegraph, the Guardian, the Independent, to a, a slightly lesser extent, it has a smaller circulation, and the Evening Standard, are all publications that will, if you're running a print campaign, you'll run in those papers, as opposed to the conversation we have here, does the New York Times in print still work? And it's a question that we all ask ourselves, and this comes up in multiple ad meetings every season. Um, so there are some of the differences to the campaigns. Uh, there are perhaps fewer people in the room in London. Partly the, the full-service agency philosophy is much more established there, so I think that producers are used to having fewer advertising professionals in the room, and there are also fewer producers in the room in many instances. We'll get to that in a second, but uh, you raise an interesting question. You said a question that comes up at almost all of your almost all of your ad meeting now is whether or not the New York Times print actually works. Well, what do you think? You're the, you're the expert. Does a, does a full-page ad in the New York Times work these days? Um, I think every client has asked me my opinion on that, and um, they will all tell you that I feel that it has its place for the right show at the right time with the right message. However, one shouldn't expect to place a print ad in the New York Times and necessarily see the immediate uptick in sales that perhaps it once created. We're incredibly big on layered campaigns. It's, it's part of this whole full-service integrated philosophy is you can't expect one thing to work on its own, whether that be a New York Times print ad or a TV campaign or a direct mail, direct mail campaign dropping. These things are all creating impressions, and to some degree there's a message in the medium, it's medium itself. So for launching a play, Wolf Hall, for example, is a play that we're working on at the moment. We've, we found terrific success with print ads in the New York Times for that play. Um, it speaks to the literary audience as well as the, the RSC audience. And, of course, it's, it's just garnered terrific reviews, so it's a, it's a great showcase to be able to position those reviews in a heftier way than you might be able to do on TV. 
interestingly, with Wolf Hall, there's also a TV series running at the moment for Wolf Hall. So it, it creates a situation whereby you have to consider which mediums are best for that show at that time. And when you're dealing with situations like that, sometimes you go, okay, well, let's move it to a different platform where we can own the theatrical sensibility that the play product, that the plays have. Um, so yes, I think print is not dead, but it should be considered in a different way to the way it was once considered. And I would like to answer that question every year because I think the answer may shift every year as other mediums develop. I think I'll, I'll never forget, I think that's the perfect answer. I'll never forget the first day of Macbeth and the look on everyone's faces when I said, I think we should do a full page ad of the New York Times uh, because I agree, there's, there's a place for it. It just has to be the right show and the right message you want to convey. But let's, let's, uh, let me ask you, do you have a favorite type of media? Or, or let me ask you this, let me mm-hmm. put it a little more mm-hmm. gruesomely. Yeah. You're, you're advertising a show, mm-hmm. and you can only choose one form of media. Outdoor, direct mail, online, whatever it is, TV, and I'm telling you, there is a gun to your head, and someone says, you've only got one choice to make. What would you choose? What's the show? I knew you were going <laughs> to ask that. Doesn't matter. I just go in for your favorite or whatever you think would be the most effective regardless of the show. Um, I will answer your question, but I would say that I think so much of it is based on what the show is. Every media mix is, is and should be different for the show that you're representing. However, gun to my head, don't know the show, have to pick a medium. I would say at this point, probably online. And the reason I would say that is because you can do both what television does and what print does in an online environment. You can give people long-form content. Native native advertising is really taking off now in what I would refer to as real-world advertising. Um, so we'll, we're starting to utilize it more in theatrical advertising. Um, so we can provide people long-form content. We can give them the kind of detailed information that a print ad might have once historically done. And likewise, streaming pre-roll, you can put television moving assets online and deliver the same kind of message that you're also able to deliver on television. So if I had to choose one, not knowing the show, I would say it would be it would be digital and online advertising. I didn't expect Liz to actually answer that question, so I'm glad, I'm glad I got that out of her. I think I qualified it yes. enough. <laughs> Very good. Uh, now, listen, it's not uncommon to hear producers around the city complain about anything or everything, but one of the common things that we often gripe about when talking about ad agencies is, oh, I always hear the same ideas. It's like the handout they gave me, they could have put the, it could have been from the meeting before me and they just changed the title of the show. Now, what I love about your agency is I never feel that when I walk in the door. I always feel like there's something new and fresh and I'll let you even talk about your moment of zen at the end of uh, every deck. But how do you come up with campaign ideas? What's your process for, okay, we're doing a new musical. It's called Coffee Cup the Musical. Then what? What? what what's the process? Um, thank you, firstly, for everything that you just said. Um, it's something we really strive for, so I'm really pleased that as a client you've noticed it. Um, we're very collaborative. The, the, the team is incredibly collaborative with each other. We spend a lot of time brainstorming across departments. Um, so, and, and I think that's really useful because it allows us to really come to a, a shared a shared vision about what we want to achieve for any of our shows. And that vision could be something like a creative message. So, for example, Matilda, one of our musicals, we've just put out a TV commercial 
using the song from the show When I Grow Up and the hashtag When I Grow Up. And that wasn't just a conversation about, okay, well, let's, let's make a TV commercial and put it on TV. It's a, what do we want to say about the show overall and how can we do that in all of the different assets that we have available to us? Um, I think that, I mean, we have a mantra internally. I, I've always said to my team that we, ha- we have to think about these shows individually. We have to find the right way into each of these shows to find their audience and to speak about them in a different way because otherwise it does become like wallpaper. I mean, it was interesting. I was speaking to a a friend of mine this weekend who doesn't work in the industry but is a creative director and I said something about a new TV commercial that we were putting out and he said to me, what does it say? The New York Times says it's great. And I said, no, actually, we haven't haven't used quotes. And the the shock and horror that that a theatrical commercial would go out into the world without that kind of formulaic, this, this review said this, this review said that... So I think it is it is important that we continue to question ourselves and each other and our clients. How can we do this differently? And is there a, a more efficient way of getting the specific message out about a show to an audience that isn't perhaps what you had previously considered? I think I'm talking in circles slightly, so forgive me for that. But the other thing I would say, and I think this is where the challenge comes in, and, and I know that you and I have discussed this in the past, is that... Broadway is incredibly risky as a, as a business entity and it, it, that we're often weighing up. I think producers and agencies are forced to weigh up the pros and cons of doing something new versus doing something tried and true. And when there are so many plates to spin and so many, so many risks to take with putting on a show, it's incredibly difficult sometimes to say to a client, this thing's never been done before and we don't know if it will work. Our our instinct tells us it will work, our research tells us it will work, and we've tested it, and that says it will work, but it's never been done before, and we think that you should spend your money on it. It's it's difficult when you can say, this is another thing which has been done by 10 shows before, and we've previously seen these kinds of results. You know, I think it's about a balance of doing both of those things to ensure that you deliver campaigns which get cut through, number one, and activate ticket sales. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point, and we like to gripe about no new ideas, but at the same time, we don't often say yes to a lot of those new ideas in defense of all the agencies out there that have presented. So it's Absolutely. important for producers, I think, to challenge challenge their agencies and then give things a shot. I, I would just say this: at the end of every deck that of every meeting that I go to at AKA, there is a moment of zen. There's some new idea. I actually on my shows try to save a portion of my budget for what I call mad money, which is something for me every week or to try something a little new to see if we can find a new way to talk to our uh, our consumers. What do you guys think about research? Are you, are you focus group people? Do you like it? Do you... Big research people. I mean, I'd say we're big data people. So that, that comes back to the box office and ticketing analysis. We have a what we call an insights department in-house in the agency and have always had that. Um, the insights department started out as being a department which focused very much on looking ahead with our box office and ticketing results so that we could be well, looking back to look forward, I should say, so we could be really accountable to the, rec- the recommendations we were putting forward for future activity. And as we're in an, we are in an industry, in the advertising industry, it's the time of data. There's so much more data available to us now in so many ways, online analytics, looking at the way people behave on your website, looking at the way people react to online advertising, and indeed focus groups, both in-person and online focus groups, 
So our insights department now also focus on those areas of research. Um, we have we have our own um, research list um, of I think it's about nine thousand names at this point that we've built up that we use for the benefits of our clients to be able to test things in a perhaps more cost-effective way than a than a full-on focus group. I think that focus groups often tell you what you already know instinctually. Um, however, coming back to the idea of Broadway being a risky business, the more data that you can get, the more information that you can arm yourself with before committing what are in many instances large amounts of money on putting a campaign out there, the better. So I believe in it, I support it, and I think that the research and data analytics is only going to become a bigger part of what we do moving forward as an industry. One of the things that I love about the industry, but is also very challenging, I'm sure, for vendors, is that we have a lot of people that have didn't grow up in our industry that decide to get involved in it, or maybe not even from the business world. What do you recommend to people that they do before, if they've never been in an ad agency, how should they best prepare for that experience, or what should they learn? How, how should they, what's, the, what's the training ground for producers even before they start working with an ad agency? We will see producers, co-producers, investors coming into meetings in the early days and certainly observing, watching the landscape, seeing how lead producers interact with the advertising agencies and really taking a note from that. And I think that's incredibly smart. Um, I mean, listen, even things like the CTI courses are really good for getting a, a very kind of black and white breakdown as to what the elements of advertising and how to advertise the show are. I'm actually doing one this Sunday. Um, I think the, the biggest thing I would say, though, is, is just to talk to your colleagues, to ask questions and, and to listen and observe. I think that I think one of the things I really enjoy about this business is no one... I've never been in a situation where someone hasn't wanted to give back. So I mentioned CTI. I, I love doing those things because to have the opportunity to talk about the theory of what we do and why we do it and how we do it and what works and doesn't work is really terrific. And I think that any new producer that wants to or is, is moving towards leading their own projects, I think that any colleague, co-producer that they asked for their advice and their opinions on this, I think that they would share that information freely, willingly. Where, what do you think the media landscape is going to look like in a decade from now? Where, where do you think Broadway shows will be advertising? It's a great question. Um, we talk about it a lot. I mean, it's all about digital. And when I say digital, I don't just mean online advertising in the, in the, in necessarily in the ways that we see it today, although I, I think that will be part of the landscape as well. You can see that Outdoor is going digital. Radio stations are going digital. Print, obviously, newspapers have already gone digital. So I think that what we will see is that more and more and more of the platforms that we utilize to advertise theater are going to be in a digital environment, and that could be a, billboard, a digital billboard versus a still, still billboard streaming versus typical TV. Um, the TV question is a big one because... I think the same conversations that people have been having for the last five years about is print dead is going to be a conversation we're going to be having about TV in the next five years. I think, you know, we'll be sitting here and you'll say, but should people still advertise on TV? And I'll say, right show, right time, right message. 
Um, but the fact is, is that that industry is changing in the same way that the newspaper and magazine industry changed with the with the advent of online. And and we would be stupid not to embrace that at the earliest possible moment. So I think overall, if I had to give you that answer in a nutshell, which I realise I have not done, is I would say it will be a it will be a more targeted campaign in mostly digital formats. And the targeted thing is interesting. I was talking to some of the team members about this recently. So much of the advertising and the marketing that we're able to do at this point is becoming so much more targeted, which is brilliant because it helps us utilize the budgets to the to the best possibilities. But email blasts at this point are becoming a lot more targeted. Direct mail is becoming a lot more targeted. I think as we move in terms of how you're selecting who you're actually reaching, you can select by when they typically buy tickets, the price point that they typically spend, and so on and so forth. And I think as we move from TV into utilizing more online and more streaming, behavioral targeted, for example, it's interesting for what the future looks like because we know we have a challenge on Broadway whereby we're... We have a, a smaller group of people buying multiple tickets and we're not necessarily generating new audiences. And I think the more targeted these campaigns get over time, what does that mean in five or ten years' time when we can be so specific about who we're reaching that we're not reaching anyone that might be on the fence about going to the theatre to bring them towards wanting to be a theatre-goer in the first place? It's a, it's a question that I think we should all ask ourselves. That is a scary question. Does more targeting actually narrow the potential audience? I don't know yet, but it's something we're looking at. Scary. Uh, you are in the midst of Tony season now. If someone said to you, Liz, I want to win a Tony award and I want to advertise to do it, what would you do? What would you tell them? Is there, is there now an advertising playbook for winning a Tony award? No, I don't think there is. I mean, I think advertising can help sell tickets, but ultimately... It's not going to be the thing that... I don't believe that there's a step-by-step -step advertising guide to winning a Tony. I think that certain choices about what you're saying in your advertising, when you're saying it and who you're saying it to, can help push the dial in a certain direction. Um, and it can also hurt you. The wrong advertising can hurt a Tony campaign, I think, is, is, is also something that should be considered. There's another interesting thought there that actually advertising to win one could lose you one. You've worked with a lot of producers over the course of your years here. Which ones do you like? I like you, Ken. Oh, thank you very much. Not just because you're sitting opposite <laughs> me and, and representing one of our one of our fabulous shows right now. Um, Describe the characteristics, yeah, if you will. I think we talk a lot about we want to do good work. As an advertising agency, that's ultimately, you're coming to work every day because you want to do good work that's effective in its campaigns. And what are the environments that best allow for good work to happen? And I think that trusting, collaborative, open relationships with your clients ultimately get the best out of an agency and get an agency to put its best work out there. Um, it's not this is, does not come from me. It comes to a, to a book that I enjoy reading and quote to my team quite a lot. But there's this whole idea of a trust triangle, that you can't have great work without a great relationship, that a great relationship builds trust, which in turn creates great work. And that's a philosophy that we all work on a, on a great deal. So I think I know that our team are going to walk on hot coals to make a show a success. I know they will. And 
the idea that they're in partnership with their clients to do that is only going to make them walk all that much faster. So open, trusting, collaborative clients that are willing to take risk. I have a lot of listeners and readers out there that are producing their own shows, just maybe on a slightly smaller scale than what you're used to working with on a day-to-day basis. But they're all trying, of course, to get the word out about the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you had a very small show, very teeny tiny advertising budget, what would you advise someone doing a showcase, for example, like in my 150-seat theater or even in their hometown in Chattanooga, Tennessee? Mm -hmm. What would you tell them to do to try to get the word out and put butts in seats? Um, I think on that scale, utilizing the team that you have is is the first thing. So everybody has the ability with, with... with most people, particularly in our industry, having social platforms now that they can push information out on, I'd say really look at your own team and say, okay, what are you putting out there on your social platforms, on everyone that's in your cast, on the people that work on, at the box office in your little venue? Make sure that they're putting the word out there for you across their platforms. I think in that instance, being really specific about who your audience are, not trying to spread a campaign too thin, because ultimately you won't achieve any cut through. Pick a medium, pick a message, pick an audience and go for them, is what I would say. Okay, the, my last question, which has become our famous genie question now, I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin shows up and says, Liz, I love your accent, so I'm going to give you one wish. If there was one thing you wanted to change about Broadway... What would that thing be? What keeps you up at night? What drives you crazy? What do you absolutely can't stand? And with the snap of a finger, a wave of my wand, if the genie even has a wand, I say that every time, I don't think he does. What would you have that genie wish away? Hmm. I mean, there's two things that come to mind. You can only choose one. <laughs> there is a gun to your head. <laughs> so it's a, um, it's a well-known saying in advertising that only 50% of advertising works. We just don't know which 50%. I'd like that genie to tell me which 50%. <laughs> Very good answer. The second one, I'll let you squeeze in the second one. Um, I think that as an industry, I would love to see us all embrace the idea of what we can do and how we can do things as opposed to, I think, something that happens to us on occasion, to us all, is we focus a little bit too much on the why we can't do something in our industry to move it forward. And I think we have to be forward-thinking all the time to keep... Broadway and to keep theatre at the front, forefront of its game. What was the name of that book that you recommend or that you... It's called The Art of Client Service. The Art of Client Service. We'll but, throw a link to that in there. Yeah, it's fabulous. It's by a gentleman called Robert Solomon. Got it. I make all of our, our um, client service team read it when they start. Nice. Required reading at <laughs> AKA. Okay, I will let Liz get back to her very, very busy Tony season. She's got Tony Awards to win, even though advertising can't do it, as she said. Uh, So thank you very much for doing this, Liz. Thank you all of you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. <laughs> 